You're listening to the Sound on Site Game of Thrones podcast. This week, we take a look at Dark Wings, Dark Words, the second episode of season three. Here to join us this week, Les Chapel from the AV Club, and this was television. Welcome to the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast. As ever, I am Kate Kalzik, TV editor at Sound on Sight. I am joined by my co-host, Ricky D, general editor, Sound on Sight, general editor. How can you always repeat general editor? Hey, it's, Kate. It's a How I Met Your Mother reference. The Himyum fans out there will know what I'm doing there. A little salute. Uh... Yes. Um, and joining us this week to help us talk about the second episode of season two, Dark Wings, Dark Words, from the AV Club, and this was television. It's Les Chapel. Les, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So before we get into this podcast, this episode in specific, I just want to mention I've read the books, but I will not spoil anything, and uh, that may limit some of the conversation from my end, but it's always fun to talk about. Ricky hasn't read none of the books, has, has no idea what's coming ahead. Les, what's your relationship with the books? Uh, I have read the first three books, so I'm entirely caught up to everything that's going to happen this season or... Well, most of it, depending on what elements from the fourth book that they're pulling in. But yeah, I've read the first three. I've seen all the show up until now. So I'm in, I'm, in this, I'm in a good place because this season, things are gradually coming up and I know what's coming. So I get to be very excited about it. While at the same time, there's still a little layer of mystery about it. Well, I'm curious for for me that really affected how I was viewing and then able to review the the premiere. There was a lot of stuff I felt like I couldn't really talk about because I was rather than focusing on the episode, I was having a hard time not just thinking about what everything we were seeing meant for the future. I'm wondering if you ran into that with this episode. I was less I was less uh, thrilled with this episode than the internet seems to have been. I was sort of like, eh, it's a you know kind of a time filler episode, lots of pieces moving around, but it didn't really blow me away. I gathered from Twitter that you uh, did not have that approach or that take. No, I was ve- I was very much a fan of this episode, so I guess I'm on the internet side on that count. <laughs> Largely because, as I said, the thing I like about this season is there's so much coming up that is what I've been looking forward to. Uh, in a bunch of interviews, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss have, been sa- have said over and over again that they considered if we get to season three, that's when we can really start having fun because that's the third book and we can really start to render the things everyone loves. And a part of why I love this episode so much, other than the fact that it had the triumphant return of Hodor, and I can't, not, I can't dislike any episode that has Hodor in it because, well, Hodor, <laughs> uh, th- this was an episode that had so many of the characters that... I wanted to see and that were rendered very well because so this is the episode where uh, Bran and Rick can meet up with the Reeds. Uh, Sansa is introduced to Lady Oleana Tyrell, the Queen of Th- the Queen of Thorns, and Arya and her group meet up with the Brotherhood Without Borders. 
So there was just a lot of people who, when they popped up on the screen, I was basically up, uh, bouncing in my chair, clapping, because I was so happy to see that we'd finally reached this point. Yes, that's the brother, Brotherhood Without Banners, I believe, uh, yes. Yes, no, you're right, it's the Brotherhood Without Banners. It's, it's easy to get uh, the various, very important titles confused. Uh, Ricky, where do you fall? Are you more on less side of things or, or on my side of things? Yeah, no, I love this episode. I actually, uh, I, I think season three is in a much better job than season two, at least when it comes to the first two episodes and introducing a bunch of characters, especially for someone like me who hasn't read the original source material. Uh, last week's episode, for the most part, felt like catch up. Let's get to know where these characters are now and after the events of season two. This episode seems a bit more of a refresher. Um, we get to see a lot of the characters that didn't appear in last week's episode, including some of our favorites. And the one, the characters that did appear last week, we still get a, a, a bit of those characters. With the exception of, I, I think Danny's the only one we didn't see anything of this week. Yeah, no, Danny didn't pop up, which is a shame because she's my favorite character. But with that said, I, I really appreciate the way they're tackling this season because, uh, like, you guys have read the books. So you don't understand the perspective of someone who hasn't read the book. And there's a lot of characters to keep track of. And I'm sorry, but a lot of these actors, just the way they're dressed and the heavy beards and the armor, and they, they look alike. And so sometimes it's easy for someone like me to get confused as to who's who. Uh, but I, I really do think that this show does a fantastic job in fleshing out the motivations of a lot of these characters, especially characters like Brienne. Uh, Arya, Jon Snow, the characters who I think a lot of viewers latch onto, and there's a reason for it. And and I um I don't know I I do think it's still a little scattered, and so it can leave a lot of people scratching their heads and trying to figure out who's related to who and who's against who and what the alliances are and whatnot. But I, I really think that this episode puts a lot of interesting wheels in motion, and it gets me really excited for what's coming ahead. So, as someone who hasn't read the book, Kate, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I was, I was kind of expecting that was going to be the the take, and and I really do seem to be alone. Everybody else uh, that I was talking to on Twitter seemed very excited about this episode, and I think a lot of that goes to just a few scenes that I think are really well handled. Of course, you already mentioned the introduction of the Queen of Thorns, Les. And oh my God, I what love I was her. basically, I was, ca I was just, uh, I was just cackling through that whole scene. It's. Diana Rigg as Dowager Countess. It's fantastic. Oh, but she's more Dowager Countess than the Dowager Countess. Don't get me wrong. I yes. love Dame Maggie Smith. <laughs> Do not get me wrong. However, I, the Queen of Thorns is a far more interesting character to me than the Dowager Countess. Well, for starters, she... Well, uh, you know, the Dowager Countess isn't usually scheming to basically get involved in murder. Could, could they not have cast this role better? Like Diana Rigg? I mean, seriously, guys, like she's actually named a dame, right? <laughs> you know, which is basically the equi equivalent of Sir. Um, she's been all over Broadway. She's won all kinds of like awards. Uh, she's a fantastic actress. I think her introduction to me, for me personally, was the highlight of the episode. And I, I love just the way she's not she's she's not full of shit you know she's straight up about who she is as a person and her beliefs and the way she interacted with um lady stark uh was just fantastic like i love the way sansa finally got her moment to kind of vent and she kind of needed that well and i like though that as much we we really like her right as soon as we meet her um because just because she is so frank and because uh she says she's she's an audience surrogate for for a lot of a lot of uh what she's saying there and and it's just refreshing with so much scheming with so much you know plotting and behind the scenes and uh, half truths it's so wonderful to to hear somebody just say outright what so much uh, so many of the viewers are probably thinking but that being said she's still 
has an agenda and you can see that in in her uh, in her performance and i really enjoy that that dual uh, approach ladies answer it is my honor to present my grandmother the lady olena of house Turan. kiss me child it's so good of you to visit me in my foolish flock of hens we're very sorry for your losses and I was sorry when I heard of Lord Renly's death, Lady He was very gallant. Gallant, yes, and charming and very clean. He knew how to dress and smile, and somehow this gave him the notion he was fit to be king. Renly was brave and gentle, Grandmother. Father liked him, and so did Loris. Loris is young and very good at knocking men off horses with a stick. That does not make him wise. As to your fathead father. Grandmother, what will Sansa think of us? She might think we have some wits about us. One of us, at any rate. It was treason. I warned them. Robert has two sons, and Renly has an older brother. How can he possibly have any claim to that ugly iron chair? We should have stayed well out of all this, if you ask me. But once the cow's been milked, there's no squirting the cream back up our udder, so here we are to see things through. What do you say to that, Sansa? Should we have some lemon cakes? Yeah, but she had such little screen time that for the little screen time, that one scene that she's given, she makes such an impression. Like, it's amazing. You 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 get to realize what her agenda is. And I want to see her and Tyrion match wits. That'll be amazing. Yeah, I'm actually even more excited um, without really spoiling anything. What I saw on one of the advanced on one of the HBO behind the scenes features, apparently there is going to be a scene between Tywin and the, the Queen of Thorns. And Ooh. just to watch Diana Rigg and Charles Dance play off each other. I would watch an entire bottle episode that was just those two power, those two negotiating power plays. Oh, oh my God, seriously. <laughs> and and I, I gotta, I gotta mention Marjorie once again this week. She's amazing. She's my favorite new character. Oh, she's fan- She's absolutely fantastic. This episode, I've actually got it on in the background right now, muted, and they just played the scene. <laughs> they just played the scene where she's speaking to Joffrey and admiring his crossbow, and there's just she's basically stringy play she's learning how to play this person who i mean sansa outright finally came out and said he's a monster and i feel like marjorie already sort of knew that but now that it's been put into words she's her thought process is okay i can i have to figure out how i can control this i don't man i don't know man she's a firecracker i think she's a far more dangerous than joffrey because she's smart and she knows how to play the room and i love I love the um, the sequence in which Joffrey is trying to try and close because I, I get the feeling that he's trying to look good for her because he, mm-hmm. he really does like this girl, right? I mean, that's what I'm assuming. I think it's more he doesn't know what to make of this girl because he's used to being coddled by his family. He's used to being, and now that he's king, he's used to having people who he can push around. Mm-hmm. She's not intimidated by him. She's not afraid of him. And there's part of him that it's con- he's confused by it, but he's also intrigued by it. Well, and again, what I said last week, she's really hot, <laughs> and and he, he just well, thinks, not dismissing that. Well, no, but I mean, like, for, <laughs> I I really don't I I really think that he's coming very much from a whatever his age is, thirteen, fifteen year old boy perspective with with her, and because he can't control her the same way, he, because she uh, is able to to sort of play their situations and to to go back and forth with him, he really he wants to impress her because he wants to. You know, aside from, you know, while she obviously shows him def- deference as the king, he still wants her to want him. And uh, that, I think that's interesting to watch. 
But you know what? The fact that his mom, Cersei, is like intimidated by her just goes to show how powerful she is. Like, I love her mind games. But the thing, the thing about her character, Joffrey's mom, is I'm, I'm not liking her in season two. Like, like I want to, I, I want season three. Sorry, I, I want to see her strike her deadly venom again. She doesn't seem as threatening as the in previous seasons. I think, I think part of that is because just watching the scene, scenes is that Joffrey is essentially taking point in what had previously been a been a subservient relationship where you had last you had last week he made that crack about my mother likes drama as she gets older and then this week when she's trying to basically talk to him about marjorie he has that beautiful line this is quickly becoming the most boring conversation i have ever experienced or or when or when he says intelligent women do what they're told but that's the thing like i don't remember her character letting her son walk all over her in previous seasons he wasn't the king then He's the king now, and she also knows her son and knows that he might just have her killed if she goes too far. I don't know. There's that scene between Cersei and Tyrion last season where basically Tyrion pointed out what a little bastard he was, and then she just said, don't you think I've tried to keep a leash on him? Yeah, but only one person has the balls to actually slap the king. You know what? I I, I think it's kind of creepy how he's so turned on by the crossbow that I would hate to see him run into Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Because his whole turning the perversion to a capital crime, like, I think he would have to think that twice. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of fun, I'm sure, to come with with Joffrey and crossbows. And I don't know that I want to see all of that, but I, I think we can all agree that that was another one of the highlight scenes that, uh, that, that interaction. I wanted to ask you guys a question without spoiling anything. Um, does the book get heavy into politics of like uh, the LGBT like scenario? Like, I mean, because like there, there's already been a few characters introduced that are gay in this episode. He kind of like says right out loud that he wants to make like homosexuality like illegal is that like a, a heavy reoccurring theme in the books um no i don't no? think so they they okay. don't they aren't as explicit with renly in the books as they have been on the series it is sort of like a known secret but they don't uh you know and and uh, especially jamie has a few um things that he says where you can if you are reading with open eyes you'll see that of course Renly and, and Loris were involved and uh, and and uh, were probably in some sort of a really strong relationship but other than that it really is not something that takes a lot of um, priority I would say okay. in the books that's, that's disappointing because I actually find that for me personally that's one of the things that I really love about the show like I want to see more of that come out but um, well, anyways. who knows? There's there have been many ways in which the the book has really uh, found a strength and capitalized on it. A big mm-hmm. thing with that is with uh, with Marjorie, who plays a much smaller part in the books, or at least she's not a point of view character, and so we see her effects, but we don't get anywhere near as much, especially at this point in the story, time with her. In the books, she's not she's. A, well, she's a little bit more of a docile character, at least the way you're, you're interpreted, because you see her through point of view chapters from Cat or Sansa or other characters. But now this is Natalie Dormer has been has given the character far more agency than she had in the books. And it's definitely been to the show's benefit. Well, and another change changed character in that way has been Shay. I think they've really capitalized on that relationship between Tyrion and her. And I did very much. I enjoy her. I, it's just a very different character than in the book. And um 
her defensiveness over Sansa is something I very much enjoy, as well as that whole sequence. I love there are many shout outs to Ned in, in this episode, and one of them was what felt like a direct quote with um <laughs> with, with, with Tyrion of we've come to a dangerous place with danger, and he can't even finish because uh, Shay's has has her mind on other things. You're mentioning quotes. Uh, the best quote related to Ned Stark. He's t- basically she's telling him that Littlefinger's basically talking to Sansa about leaving. It's like does she trust him? What what village idiot trusts Littlefinger? And I just <laughs> stood up Ned. loud, pointed, and said, uh, "Sansa's father, for one thing. Why did you trust Littlefinger? He told you not to trust him." You know, that's that's another thing I liked about the episode, Kate, though, is because they do call back to Ned quite often to the point where we actually hear his voice uh, early on. Yeah, in Bran's, in Bran's dream where it's reenacting yeah. the archery scene with Rob and John. Yeah, can, can we talk about Jamie and Brienne because they are just fantastic. Like, by far the best on-screen duo right now, I think, on television. I, I, I First of all, I love their whole sword fighting sequence because it wasn't too flashy. It wasn't, like, the most extravagant, over-the-top, like... Uh, like crazy choreographed fight sequence, but it seemed realistic. Those hands are bound for the whole thing. Well, yeah, but it, but that's what I mean. It seemed realistic. There was nothing fancy about it. So I really liked. But but aside from the, that specific sequence, like there's a lot of walking in this episode. And out of all the characters that walk around, they are by far the two most interesting. I can follow them for like days and <laughs> just listen to them. <laughs> exactly. Talk. Like going back to I mentioned, I would love a Tywin Oliana bottle episode. I would yeah. watch a Jamie Brienne bottle episode. Well, well, episode, road episode. landscape episode. Yeah, we're just them walking. And yeah, like we were, we, were talk- <laughs> we, were ta- we were talking about Renly earlier, and I find it re- just so amusing how much the short end of the stick Renly's getting in this episode. Because you've got first that Sansa's trying to say nice things about him, and then Oleana says he was an idiot and shouldn't have been king. And then re- and then Jamie's dragging his name through the mud, purposely Whoa. trying to get a raise out of Brienne. Oh my god! To the point where he's like, "It's a shame the throne isn't made out of cocks," because then. <laughs> They would have never got him off the throne. I couldn't. By, by the way, this show is funny as hell. I could not stop laughing. Were you pledged to Stannis? God's no. Ah, uh, Renly. Really? He wasn't fit to rule over anything more important than a 12-course meal. Shut your mouth. Why? I lived with him at court since he was a boy, don't forget. Could hardly escape the little tulip. Skipping down the corridors in his embroidered silks. I knew him far better than you. I knew him as well as anyone. As a member of his king's guard, he trusted me with everything. He would have been a wonderful king. I like you quite fancy him. I did not fancy him. God, you did. Did you ever tell him? Well, of course not. You weren't Brendan's type, I'm afraid. You preferred uh, curly-haired little girls like Loras Tyrell. You're far too much man for him. I'm not interested in foul rumors. Unless they're about me. It's all true about Renly. His proclivities were the worst-kept secret at court. It's a shame the throne isn't made out of cocks. They'd have never got him off it. Such a laugh! Going quickly back to back to Tyrion, and when Shay's talking about Littlefinger's friends, like who? Oh, Roz, the redhead. It's like, <laughs> fuck her, didn't you? You fucked her, didn't you? No. Well, yeah. all right, once. Twice. Okay, fine, twice. <laughs> 
Yeah, oh yeah, he Tyrion only had one scene this week, but he made the most of it. When you speak of that um, that scene, I, one of the things I think is interesting about it, and it's something that is going to be an increasing problem with with the show, with the production of it, and it's something that it'll be, I'll be very interested to see how they handle it. Is we have the mention of of Sansa. I very much enjoyed that that inter- interaction with them, and she's objectively beautiful. Stop being oh god, oh my god, I should I should just stop talking. Scene with uh, with Tyrion. But I think they're starting to show some strain with that because Sansa says, oh, that little girl, she doesn't look like a little girl anymore. She, she, especially in the setting of, you know, the world that this takes place in, she should be married off with some kids now. And they aged each of the Stark children up by at least two and, years. And they've, uh, and they've all, I'm just watching these couple episodes, they have sprouted between seasons. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to become an increasing problem. I, th- they're, I think they're going to have to change the, the approach because, I mean, I don't know, I'm curious what you guys think, but to me, Sansa doesn't look like a little girl. And um, and that will, I'm you know, she's, she's a different age in the books. And so that's going to have to affect what happens with her. Yeah, well, the the age in the books is really we. I've sort of tried to disconnect myself about asking the age questions because they're not in the books. Everyone's much younger because the whole it's the again the medieval philosophy and the fact that this is a world that you have to grow up fast in. So I don't know. I just kind of kind of shrugged and said, "Well, they're the age. They're the age of." Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I don't know. I mean, how much time has passed since season two? Like can't be that much. Uh, can't it can't. It can't have been more than like a few a few weeks at least, because Tyrion's just healing up and getting away f- and getting back to trying to be in power. Yeah. Well, if there's one thing we learned from this episode is we can blame everything on Caitlyn Stark. Caitlyn. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and I I appreciate the fact that she acknowledges the fact that this is her fault, even though she's not explicitly saying it because she started this whole mess by kidnapping Tyrion. Well, but the thing is, I'm not really interested in the character of Talisa, at least not yet, because at least in this episode, like she serves a purpose in 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 the sense that she allows Caitlyn to sort of vent and and uh, reveal her dark secrets and her regrets from her past. But her character is not very interesting, and there's actually one specific line in the in this episode early on. When, um, oh my God, what's his name again? He tells Rob, he's basically like, you, you uh, car start. Yes. He says, you basically lost the war the moment you married her. And like, and also I was surprised that he, he didn't actually get angry at, at him for saying that. Uh, I, I thought that was sort of like, I don't know. I, I found, I found it hard to believe, but, um, but I, I, I don't like her character. She's probably the only character in this episode that I'm not interested in. Yeah. I'm not. And this, I think is part, is a, because she is also Talisa is also an invention of the show. I mean, uh, Rob does get married to someone other than his betrothed Frey in the books, but the character oh. doesn't actually come in until the start of the season. I think I've heard, I've heard some stories that the whole re, like the whole re, the whole reason the Talisa subplot existed in season two is because uh, Rob Stark really doesn't have that much to do in the second book, and they wanted to keep Richard Madden under contract, so well, they gave him he- sub. But he, he's not doing anything in the show. I mean, even the whole subplot where he's holding his mom prisoner, it's not very interesting. Pretty much everything we see with Rob and Talisa does happen in the world of the books. It just happens off screen. Okay. And and, and, and the character, you know, his, his wife in the books is just as much of a non-character. She's actually, she's more interesting, I suppose, in in the show, she gets more to do. She's far more active, uh, far more active participant, especially because she's not she doesn't have any medical training or anything like that. So you know, that's a very different um, 
relationship with like the battles and, and things. And I understand they needed to give Rob something to do because they want to keep the focus on the Stark children. But really, he's I don't think he's that interesting of a character, particularly when you make him older. So he, you know, there's less of that struggle of the boy to the man. Yeah. And, and, and I, when I'm looking at I mean, part of why this episode wasn't as interesting to me is that when you're looking at all the different characters, some of the ones I care the least about are, are Rob. And as much as I love Catelyn, that was a lovely speech. But I don't care about her as much right now. I would rather be spending some time with Danny. And I also think they need to do some more work to visually separate, um, for example, uh, where Arya's at and where uh, Rob and his group are at. Because after a while, a lot of the show just looks very brown. You're in, or, you're or, in English countryside, basically. Yeah, well, it, but it, the, it felt very dark to me this week. Just not a lot of color. And you get the color when you're in... in, in um, King's Landing, you get the color, you get the white in, you know, up in the north. It, that's really striking, and, and down by Danny, it's very striking. But sort of everything else has just kind of become muddled. And so, especially when I'm trying to look at this from the perspective of somebody who hasn't read the books, I could see it very quickly becoming confusing, like just the geography of where everybody else is, because it all looks the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, uh, one thing I also I absolutely loved about this uh, episode was they introduced the fantasy element in the wargs. Which, like, I mean, anyone that's listened to the Sin Outside podcast knows I'm big on, uh, like, psychic powers, uh, dreams, dreams that come true. And, that, and, and especially when the characters have, like, a, a really strong connection to animals, especially dogs, as Kate would, you know, back me <laughs> up on that. But, but this episode, I was like, holy shit, I love these characters. Like, I, I, I mean, <clears throat> like, um, first of all, at the beginning of the episode, uh, back in um, uh, North of the Wall, where, where we follow Jon Snow and his little group of characters, whatever. Sorry, I can't remember everybody's names. But there's this one character who basically can get into the soul of the bird or something. Like, how does that work exactly? And he can see what's happening around him? That's Oral is the character's name. And he basically transfers his consciousness into an animal. In this case, we saw that bird flying overhead. So he transfers his consciousness into the bird and then he can see... You know, with he can fly around as the bird and, and scout the location, and then come back to his body and re- retain that information. Okay, but so does he have the exact same power as Jojen Reed and Bran Stark? Um, in a, in a in a sense, it's I we're not really to the point where we know enough about the ability. Yeah, okay. I th- I think what we see in this episode is that that yes, Bran disappeared because of his ability to communicate with um with what Summer right is is his. Uh, yeah, his is Summer, Rickon's the shaggy dog. Yeah, because of his ability to communicate with, with Summer, there's like a warg element there. But then also there's the three-eyed raven, which I always love when they show that because it looks so cool. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. it's creepy as hell, too. Uh, yeah, th- that's a, that's something different, as Jojen says. So that's not necessarily a warg thing. Well, because I, I do believe in the episode, uh, jo- is it Jogen or Jojen? Jojen. Jojen. Okay, I, I believe that he tells Bran that he's basically a warg. Uh, but I, I love their whole psychic connection. It's like they're, it's like, it's like Bran is his long lost better half. And I love the introduction, like the way he meets him for the first time, like the way we see the dream sequence early on in the ep- in, in the episode, and later on it repeats itself. Only it's actually happening for real. And I also love the fact that his sister is the one that fights with weapons, and he's he's the the, the type that fights with his mind. So even like him and his sister, 
who I believe her name is Mira. Like that whole trio of characters is fascinating to me. Like I would love to see those three characters when they get older. Like they're amazing. Like I love this show. Well, and that's why, you know, those are characters that are introduced in the second book. And that's why when you have all this stuff in season two, that's focusing on Talisa and Rob. And this whole time I'm watching this season going, why don't they have the reeds show up? That's way more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. In this, yeah. In the second book, half the, most of the stuff that's happening with uh, Osha and the, Osha and Hodor, uh, the the reeds are a big part of that in the book already. So, so is Orel going to play a major part in season three? Well, he's well, he's a part of Mance Raider's army, and there's mm-hmm. obviously Jon Snow doesn't quite trust him at this point, which and he's entire he's probably entirely right not to trust any of them. But I assume, yeah, I, my memories are a little fuzzy, and I don't want to spoil anything, even if right, they okay, weren't. Yeah. But yeah, is he's he's part of Raider's army, which is all they're going south; otherwise, everyone's going to die. Sharon Hines is not at all who I pictured for Mance Raider when I first was reading the book. I pictured somebody a little younger, but he's just, he's lends such a gravitas to the role. Then you can completely believe that this is the guy who could unite an entire army of people who all want to kill each other by convincing them there's a bigger threat out there. Well, and there's just such a, a straight and streamlined narrative there right now as well. I think that's very useful. It kind of like what you're saying with the Queen of Thorns, where it's wonderful to just have somebody with a very clear objective. And he, his very clear objective is we have to get south or we will all die. Though I will say, so that's refreshing. But I will say, I think there shouldn't be any Jon Snow scenes if there's not somehow a little bit of Egret because I I missed her this week in those northern <laughs> scenes. Yeah, uh, you, I agree. You know I nothing, Jon Snow. I love Jon Snow, though. I love his character. But, but you know, I also, like, the casting of the show is incredible because even the character of Aurel, like, they cast Mackenzie Crook to play his character. And he's not a well-known actor, but he so suits that role. Like, he's creepy as hell. So I want to see more of his character. And I, I don't know. I, I'm still going to defend Jon Snow to the day I die because I love his character. And I think he's much needed for the show, especially for people that haven't read the book because everyone I know that hasn't read the book, he's the character that they latch on to. So I think he's kind of important for that sort of audience. Uh, but also, I just want to quickly say one thing, Kate, um, in, that, in that scene, not only does he say we have to go south or, or we all die, but he actually explains that's why all these different like people are working together and on the same team who normally hate each other. So for someone that hasn't read the book, that one line of dialogue explained it all. And that was awesome. It's yeah, very efficient. And you, and you talked about the narrative direction. I think that's actually a large part of the reason why a plenty of people, why there is a population of people who have turned on Jon Snow, because his plot in the second season, there was no direction. He was just aimlessly going north, and it felt like he was, especially when he got separated from the main group, it was like he was just walking around with Ygritte for three episodes straight, which was frankly just uninteresting as much as I like Ygritte, as much as I enjoy Rose Leslie, but it I know the fact that there is actually some direction to this and the fact that he's surrounded by a group of characters who I mean, I think Jon Snow's interesting character. I don't think he's very interesting on the show, but I think he can get to that point. And I know from the books that he can't uh, that the character can also get to that point. It just wasn't there yet. And I think that this season's doing a much better job by him so far. I'm still waiting to be impressed by uh, Kit Harrington in his performance. I'm still waiting for anything approach. I mean, I think all of the other main characters, maybe not Rob. I'm still not as big on Rob either, but I think th- those two performers, I'm waiting to see any kind of depth in their performance. And I've not seen it. I've seen it with every other character, every other main character, even many of the periphery characters, but I haven't seen it with Jon Snow. I have not really seen it with Rob. Seconded. Well, what's interesting is that, 
those characters were introduced right in the first scene in the pilot, along with Theon, I believe. And all of those characters, I would say, it's not that the actors are bad, but I would agree that of the whole entire cast, they, they're the least impressive. But but I, I don't know if it's the actor's fault. Like, maybe it's the material given to him. Like I think there's plenty of material for Jon Snow to work with just based on his, his parentage. I mean, look at... The, there's very similar um, storyline as far as... Um, not feeling like you're fit, you fit in and are part of the family. There's a lot of like similarities that one could draw between Theon and Jon Snow, and Theon has become a much more interesting character, and, and there's been a much more layers in his performance. Um, at least that's what I'm seeing. Really, because like, Theon just basically he whines. Uh, well, but he's but he's more Jon Snow whines. Jon Snow is sullen. <laughs> he pouts. <laughs> I want to be a ranger. Oh, I I I grew, grew up as a lord, but but I don't have my father's name, and so I'm just gonna be bitchy to everybody else here, who's just as much stuck as I am. You know, there's, I mean, I the character, there's a lot there to like, yes, but I just think, I'm I'm hoping that we will get more nuance with him later. When when he kills Corrin Halfhand, that should have been a very emotional moment. That should have been, I I you know just terror and despair and anguish at having to kill this person that he's gotten to know and really trust, but he can't show that emotion. He, he has to perform for the, the people who are, he needs to get taken in, but there's, there's a lot that could have been in that moment and I didn't see it. Okay. Well, you know, there's one character who I, I feel is, hasn't done anything and it's Lord Roos Bolton. Uh, oh, like, what, oh. what is up with this character? He's always it's in the background. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I see him all the time throughout the whole entire show. I recognize the actor, but he hasn't done anything. Like, it, it's coming and it won't be pleasant. Really? <laughs> as much you, as I will say. You know um, Jon Snow. <laughs> Shifting gears a little bit. Uh, let's talk about Arya. Because Arya was not in the season premiere. And a lot of people were disappointed that Arya wasn't in the season. She's uh, in the episode. Sorry. She's in this episode. And it's so good to see Arya again, especially with Gendry and Hot Pie. <laughs> I really like Hot Pie. But you know you know what I loved about her scenes is because she learned how to use the sword. And every time she went to go pick up the sword, I was expecting her to pull off, I don't know, just do something spectacular and like actually like show these dudes that she can like kick their ass, even though she's like a little girl. And no, that's not exactly what happened. She actually got schooled. And so that like it's little surprises like that is like that's one of the reasons why I appreciate the writing of this episode. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I love her character, but I mean, I, you, how could you complain that she's not in the pilot? I mean, they have so many characters. Like, in it's the insane. premiere. Yeah. Well, I, I, well, I'm not, compl it wasn't a complaint. It was just more, I wanted to see Arya in the in the premiere because Arya is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, so is Jamie and Brienne. They weren't in the pilot. <laughs> and, I, and I complained about that too. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, I also, I want to say, you were talking about the writing and the show being funny. I enjoyed the little meta aspect that Gendry inserted when he's taught, when she, he's going over ways. It's like, so wait, Jack in a car said he'd kill three people, any people, and you didn't tell him to go kill Tywin or Joffrey? You could have ended the war. And she's like, <laughs> shut up! Yeah, I know. I was, I was glad someone finally mentioned that. Because the whole entire time I was watching season two, I was like, why doesn't she just send the guy to kill Joffrey? It only makes sense, but... Um, yeah, at least they addressed it. Well, yeah, and and I think we didn't see her in the premiere because when you when we come across her, the, the people that they showed in the premiere, there was a thematic unity that they were going for with service, um, a, a, as well. But also, I think she's you know, and the, we recently didn't see Jamie and Brienne. They're not in immediate peril 
they're just kind of walking. So if we don't see them walking for a week, you know, that that's okay. And um, actually, I, I, as much as I do very much, I do love Arya. She's one of my favorite characters. I was a little underwhelmed by, by the reveal or the introduction of the, the men without, uh, without banners because they felt a little, felt a little too Robin hoodie and, and just see, you know, there's something between difference between reading on a page and then seeing acted out. And so, especially with the archery that we see on display this week, it did sort of, it made me reflect on the book and feel like, Oh yeah, it does. It does seem like a little bit of a Robin hood knockoff in the book yeah. too. Yeah, I can, I can see it. In fact, I was just talking with a friend earlier today and he mentioned the Robin hood thing as well. But frankly, I was kind of pleased by the Robin hood hood aspect of it because too often the groups of people on this show are very grim or sullen or to fixated on war to the exclusion of anything else. The Brotherhood Without Banners has a sense of humor to it. And frankly, I, and the actors, particularly the actor playing Thoros of Mir, he's energetic. He hasn't given up on life yet. And I know a lot of people on the show basically have the attitude, death is coming for us at any time. They don't. And frankly, I'm happy to see it that way. I just wanted to mention that I absolutely love the opening credits, too. I want to talk about this last week, but we just ran out of time. But I love how every season they add to the opening credits. And the opening credits, from my understanding, is done by the editor who always works with David Fincher. So he won, uh, or actually, he never won an Oscar, but he was nominated for several Oscars for like The Social Network and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Panic Room. And that is, I honestly think, the greatest opening credit sequence of all time, including the theme song. It is by far my favorite theme song of all time. I was told that somewhere in the States, they actually held the uh, season premiere in like on, on the big screen in certain cities. I would love to watch a game of Thrones on a big screen. I would pay for it. Like seriously, <laughs> just, just to see the opening credit sequence on the big screen would be fantastic. Well, it's very, uh, it's very shrewd. It's a very shrewd decision because when, especially when you're like, I was watching the premiere with, with my, my dad and, uh, cause he hadn't seen it yet. So I watched it again and he's like, Ooh, Dragonstone. I don't think we've seen that yet. You know, it just, the layout that it gives you of what's going on in the world is, is very useful. I was a little surprised or disappointed. I felt like in, um, in, in season one and two, the credits changed slightly each episode to reflect who we were going to see that week or and where so, we were going to be or where we were going to be. Yes. And whereas this one was, it looked like it was the exact same as the premiere. So they, they went over to, they went over to Astapor, even though we didn't see Astapor this time, they didn't go North of the wall to where, um, to, to, to where Jon Snow would be. So there were a couple of things like that, where as, as much as I love the credits, I love the theme song. Of course, it's some cello rock. Everybody who <laughs> listened to me talk about Angel knows how much I like some cello rock. But um, yeah, that was a little, little bit of a disappointment for me, if only because they spoiled me so, so much with it last year. But on the other, on the other hand, I love, I love the fact that they've been adding for these first couple episodes, Winterfell's just on fire. <laughs> but, but they did add to, to the opening credit sequence in this episode. Like, like I don't know what the names of the locations are, but there's like locations and names that I haven't seen in the previous episodes. So, so they did add to this. No, it was the, it was the same as the season premiere. Really? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Well, then it's either way. It's different from season two, and that's still it's still fantastic. <laughs> yeah. No, and it really gives you it gives you some of those visual cues that you know just in the the design of each location on the map that will help you when you get to uh, to to those varying parts of the episode. But unfortunately, we do need we're almost out of time. We actually have a hard out this week, so we can't just go on for over an hour like we did last week, even though it was so much fun. What are any final thoughts that we want to mention before we? Before we wrap things up, 
Um, well, going back, going back to Arya quickly, I was wanted to say it was also in terms of characters we didn't see last week who came back. It was nice to see Sandor Clegane return this time as a prisoner of the Brotherhood without banners. And the look of terror, the look of terror on Arya's face when she sees him and tries to back out. Then Clegane looks over and he's like, "What?" And then he, and we're talking. We've talked a lot about people who are just willing to openly say things. It was a treat to hear him just saying, "Say." what the fuck is the Stark bitch doing here? And the Brotherhood just all looks at each other, and they're like, well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think this show is amazing. I think the worst episode of Game of Thrones is better than, you know, most TV shows out there. Like, maybe aside from, like, Breaking Bad and, I don't know, Justified. But the show's incredible. And, and I, as someone who hasn't read the book, I, I like the fact that these first two episodes basically have prepared us for what's to come and it introduces us to a bunch of new characters they've taken time in helping us understand their motivations and how they're related to each other and i mean look season one we had dragons season two we had white walkers season three we have giants and now we got wargs like what's next like i'm so excited i can't wait for next week <laughs> you know and i again and i've actually been really excited on this one because this is the first time that i'm watching it on a weekly basis the first time i marathoned it on dvd second season i got hbo a week before the season finale so i wound up i wound up marathoning it then so this is the first time it's getting broken down on an episodic basis and so far it's holding up well for me on that yeah i'm looking forward to uh you know if we did this this is my second year doing the podcast it's always fun being able to talk it out each week and uh, and really sort of kind of relive parts of the episode in in that way just because i do love the show so much and um the world that both george R. R. martin and then benny awesome benny up and wives have been able to to create i i would imagine ricky is it already helping keep things straight just this little extra bit of dialogue no you, you know look last week i made it very clear that i didn't have time to revisit the previous seasons and uh with reason like i watched season two when i was extremely sick with a fever i watched it in like 10 hours i was half asleep watching it uh, I, I think what helped was rewatching the episodes. I, I wanted to rewatch the seasons before last week's podcast, but the thing is, my my nephews have been living with me for like I don't know, like eight weeks now because my brother's been moving. So now that they're they're gone, I've been able to watch Game of Thrones. But like you know, I'll watch Walking Dead with my nephews, but Game of Thrones there's a little too much nudity and sex. It's you know, I'm not gonna go watch it with my ten year old nephew. So uh, I started rewatching it. I mean, the dialogue, you know, the conversation between us clearly helps. But I mean, look. Uh, I I personally don't like it when people attack people that aren't that don't have like full knowledge of like a TV show or a movie. I, I think that anyone has the right to discuss a TV show or uh, a movie, uh, and like you know they have the right to express their opinion, and I I, I welcome it. And like yeah, so I, I'm I'm getting I'm you know I'm excited to do the podcast, and I'm glad you asked me to do it, Kate. So I'm looking forward to next week. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't think that's necessarily even a function of having watched the show quickly or not having read the books. As we talk, talked about last week, there are things that, that I got wrong that, I mean, and I'm very familiar with this world. And there's things that I have trouble keeping track of as somebody who's watched very avidly and read the books. And, you know, so I, it's, it's a very complex and and uh, and interesting and colorful world. So I, I, I like hashing it out. It, make, it helps me keep everything straight a little bit more. So I just have only one more thing to say. Most important thing about the episode, Hodor. <laughs> Hodor? Hodor. Hodor. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that, was, that, was, that was pretty fun. But uh, we are out of time. As ever, thank you, everybody, for listening. Les, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash L-E-S-I-S-M-O-R-E 
nine letter o nine that's twitter.com slash less is more nine oh nine uh you can find my writing at the av club where i'm going to start doing the borgias next week and i'm currently reviewing revolution and you can find my work also at this was tv.com thanks less for coming on we'll be back next week to discuss season three episode three of game of thrones walk of punishment which will mark the directorial debut of david benioff and db weiss so it should be very interesting so thank you everybody for listening we'll be back next week I want you to tell me the truth about this Joffrey. You must do whatever you need to do. You are the king. We need to move. We don't know who might be after us. No one even knows we're alive. Where were you? What did you see? Dead crows. This march is a distraction. Have you lost faith in our cause? Who are you? Who do you fight for?